Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good day, Cosmic Creator. Welcome to another incredible episode of the podcast. We have Gerald Clark on the show. I've been wanting him on for a while. His work is really fascinating. As you're about to find out, this is going to be part one. So we speak about the work of Lawrence Gardner, Zachariah Sitchin, uh, Eric Von Daniken. We talk about ancient Sumeria and the cuneiform tablets, the Anunnaki and the mix of races, the city of Ur, the Anki and Enlil story, Jesus as a multidimensional being, a different view of the, of the Bible, the laws of Atlantis, the emerald tablets of Thoth. So obviously this is going to be deep. And, and amazing. I've talked about Gerald before. He's, uh, yeah, he's intense, man. It's a, he's, he's a very knowledgeable guy. So I know you're going to love this episode. Uh, thank you guys for all the support. The easiest and best way to do that is just to take a moment to leave a review on the podcast. So if you like the podcast, leave a review, please. Um, thank you so much to Alex Stardust, who says the Matt Belair show rocks so much appreciation for the folks out there like Matt, who actually do meaningful work for the planet. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate you taking the time to leave that review. Everyone does help. Um, thank you guys for supporting me on Patreon. That's another way you could help. My goal is, you know, 1% of the audience to give $1. And somebody who took an action um, on that is Rayanna Rojas. Uh, Rojas, I'm probably butchering your name. I'm super sorry about that. But I appreciate you. Thank you so much for giving me a buck. That's it, you know, 12 bucks a year. And uh, can keep doing this podcast for years, hopefully. Um, so it's a pleasure and an honor to always serve for you guys you can check out more cool stuff at mattbelair.com forward slash store and so what i started last episode i really invite you guys to do is to anytime you get like a tidbit or epiphany or an aha moment or something that's gnarly just time code that and hashtag Matt Belair podcast and post it on my Facebook page so I can get a collection of little sound bites and tidbits. And if you want to go deeper and explain, you know, what it is, why it is, elaborate, make a video, go fully nuts with it, go for it. Because these little tidbits and epiphanies, it might be in a, a, a an epiphany for someone else and we can share that little moment and when you share why it was an epiphany for you you're helping other people as well so it's a really powerful thing so just go um hashtag matt belair podcast post it on facebook and we'll be able to find those things and we'll be able to kind of collaborate and connect all those tidbits and link them into the longer podcast so for those of you guys who want some coaching, just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. We're going to do groups. We'll do one-on-one. If you want me to speak, I can Zoom conference call into your group. So just hit me up. We'll figure that stuff out. Check out uh, the email list if you want the free lucid dreaming. Just forward slash lucid dreaming. Get a lucid dreaming audio and mp3 and an ebook to teach you how to lucid dream and sign up for the email list all that kind of fun stuff and i think that is it for everything oh my 
my sponsor should hit them up. PRM, they're amazing. They're basically the best organic non-GMO, 100% non-GMO, and they have products for cleansing, energy, sleep, rejuvenation, all that stuff. It's the best of the best, and you can get a $50 gift card by just using Activate Health. So just go bit.ly forward slash Activate Health and get some good products for the body. That's it. That's my that's my pitch. Won't bore you with any more. Um, I've been cranking out a lot of podcasts. I've been staying busy, so there's a lot of incredible episodes coming your way. So before we get into this one, and Gerald Clark blows your mind, um, the first bit uh, he's trying to figure out the word for it. He takes you to the the pit of despair a little bit, but at the end there is light at the end of the tunnel. So if it's intense, you know there will be light coming at the end. Um, but yeah, I just remember getting taken for like through the washing machine on this one. It was so intense. So just bear with us. So to enter into this state. Uh, Before we get into this podcast, I want you to just come to a state of peace and coherence instantly, quickly and instantly. So set the intention to come to peace and coherence. Taking a deep breath in through your nose. Imagine connecting to divine universal energy that flows through all life and breathe it in deeply and see it connect every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being. Now let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries and all the thoughts of the day, all limitation, all trauma. Now take another deep breath in through your nose, connecting to your divine nature, your multidimensional self, your power as a cosmic being, knowing that you are infinite and multidimensional and just see yourself as this vibrant energy being, this multidimensional powerful being and just hold that frequency for a moment. And now just let that breath out slowly with all limitation, all doubt, all fear, all, all conditioning, anything that doesn't support you. Now taking another deep breath in through your nose, connecting even more to this energy, love, peace, harmony, coherence, and just send this energy of love, compassion, collaboration to all beings on the planet. Know that we are all creators and we will work better together to collaborate, to make a better world for all. And you are a part of that with that intention. So there we go. This is part one. Get ready to get your mind blown with the incredible Gerald Clark. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I am your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest has an MSEE in electronic circuits and systems and a BS in computer engineering, both from US or UCSD. He is the author of several papers in the communication and electronics field and is well known for his work in the San Diego high technology industry awarded several patents in the free space optical laser communications field while serving as vice president of engineering at Lightpoint Communications, Inc. His research then shifted to look into mankind's earliest technologies and accomplishments, including the cultures of Mesopotamia and the surrounding areas of Turkey, Egypt, Persia, and Iraq, eventually leading to the cuneiform inscribed tablets left by the Sumerians. He is the author of the Anunnaki of Nibiru and the seventh planet Mercury Rising, Welcome to the show, Gerald Clark. What's up, hey, brother? Buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> you, you have to ask yourself, what's an electrical engineer doing talking about this kind of crazy stuff, right? Yeah, well, we, we, you know, we, we touched base a while ago. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show because your, your background is diverse. You know, I, I picked up right away, you're really smart. You're working on, I don't know, like shoot, shooting protons through a wall or like something crazy for IBM. Um, and then you shift you know, into ancient technologies. And, you know, I, I just got back from Egypt with Nassim Haramine and 
there was some electrical engineers there and they were talking about the materials and things like that. So it's, it's. Wow. So you went to Egypt with Nassim Harriman? No yeah. kidding. Yeah. How was, I'm jealous just so you know, cause I actually, yeah. I actually want to meet him. He's a very, um, actually one of my close friends is a big, big fan of his and he's off in Bali. I think I'm, you might've uh, seen him on my Facebook page where we did the Dakotas of Truth, the Anunnaki series. Remember yep. Zechariah Lang? Yeah. He's a, he's a big fan of uh, Nassim Harriman's and uh, I never got to meet him. I was in Hawaii. Somebody told me, go meet Nassim. And I just, I don't know. It's like our paths keep going like this, but one of these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would have been great to have you there. You know, for yeah. me, I, I'm, you know, I read, you have such amazing content on YouTube and I've seen some of your interviews, you know, in depth with Rex Bear, just mind blowing. So I get to kind of observe in Egypt, people like you piecing together, like what the heck, how do you move a 200 ton laser cut stone? What is the function of this? Why is it on a plateau with different stones? You know, I didn't even realize that they had the casing stone that was a different material. So yeah, I think they were granite. The outside was granite and the other stuff was uh, different different stones but yeah it's amazing huh so you so you got some good pictures and some videos and everything while you're there okay yeah i got some good <laughs> pictures and videos and they're going to be releasing something too they, they brought a, a film crew and um this is he was talking about the art crystal so you know yeah. it, it was pretty mind-blowing um do you want to give people like a little bit about your backstory and like how you got into this because i think it's fascinating and then i know you have a lot of uh depth so just take it wherever you want to go and what you feel inspired to talk about now Okay. Um, I've told the story a lot of times, but uh, maybe I'll, yeah. each time I, you know, as time goes on, you get go through different filters and you might see a different venue that you could present it and not tell it exactly the same way. So uh, we did this off the cuff today. So hopefully that'll happen. Um, it was a very circuitous path to the Anunnaki for me or finding out about this. I was raised religious. I actually was uh, raised to be in, in a discipleship program where I was actually the one who was at the lectern, okay? That's how in depth <laughs> they drew me in before I was even 17. So uh, so I, I kind of had a lot of hurdles to overcome in terms of what the truth was. Uh, and I was always about the truth, actually. Um, and as a young person, I had thoughts about things that I didn't realize were very deep and that would lead me to uh, electrical engineering eventually. And one of those was to differentiate between uh, the self and the not self. In other words, what's the energy part and what's the meat host part and how do those two work together? Just in simple terms, you know, and I know you're an athlete and you understand there are various layers of knowing in the human body, right? Uh, a physiologist might know it from all the Latin names and its parts, but may not understand the feeling of being in that body when the tensors and the flexors are being pushed to the limit where you find balance on a, on a, snowboard or a bicycle uh, riding on uh, you know the side of a cliff with mud you know all those kind of situations you can find yourself in as a triathlete for instance and so in that space I bumped into a guy who had discovered structural integration led me to it I had a kid who had problems I, I went to learn how to do it to share it with them one thing led to another and I met somebody who had read the same kind of stuff I had. And it turned out he was uh, kind of a mystical guy in Hawaii. And I respected him. I, you know, I was one of those people, I, I, I didn't take uh, things that weren't scientific from other people if I really didn't have a relationship with them, trust with them. I, I, you know, I, I, had to, I, was, I had to prove it to myself. 
you know, so I was kind of hard headed that way. And one of those was uh, he stumbled on, he was taught, he was always into structure work and things like this. And he was reading esoteric stuff. And one day the idea of him uh, talking about a colloidal solution of gold that he was taking and what it was doing to his meditations and stuff. And I was like, wow, really? What are you, what are you, what are you into? And one thing led to another. And that in my readings, I had discovered in Lawrence Gardner's book, uh, which one was it? The Genesis of the Grail Kings, where he was talking about the find at Hathor's temple, where they had discovered quote unquote starfire gold in that underneath one of the stones on the floor. It was this white talcum-like powder. They had pictures of the um, priests and the attendees making it into conical little bread cakes, you know, like a little, like a Hishy's, Hershey's kiss kind of shape and then consuming this thing, okay? And we're like, well, what is this? And one thing led to another. I read David Hudson's patent, trying to put some meat on the bones of what is this stuff that they, these people were making. Because you realize Hathor's temple is on Mount Sarabit El-Kadim, which is what they consider, the locals consider Mount Sinai. Well, this is where Moses had the encounter with Yahweh <laughs> and supposedly got the Ten Commandments in Exodus 32.20, right? In there. So this was a trip to me to read this in Lawrence Gardner's book about Starfire Gold. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, who's this Hathor? And I'd been to Turkey and I'd started to look at the Hittites and what was going on at Gobekli Tepe. And they're like, who were these people 9,000 years ago? And I'm starting to put all the pieces together, right? Well, well, when I discovered Lawrence Gardner and Zechariah Sitchin and Eric Von Donneken and all those guys, um, I was actually fascinated. It stopped me from, uh, writing my book on ancient technology. And I looked into everything they had written to see where I should land. And, and because of that, I didn't land, okay, let's, let's be at the place where we're presenting cuneiform tablets and everybody's going, yeah, you translated it right or not. No, I didn't want to be at that place to start because I saw what happened to everybody who had an ancient text that was trying to present it as a translation. They got the ax, right? <laughs> oh, it doesn't say that. Oh, you got this one wrong. So the whole thing's wrong like that. Well, that's, that's ridiculous, okay? So anyway, um, I got uh, George Smith's book, um, and it was called The Chaldean Genesis, and he wrote this in 1871. And he was actually one of the archaeologists that went to the Middle East and went to Nineveh and these various sites and got cuneiform tablets, brought them back to the British Museum and started decoding them. And not only did they find the tablets, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of them, but they also found dictionaries and uh, lexicons on how to do Sumerian cuneiform. So they, they had, a, they, they had a, a ladder to stand on in decoding, okay? And many students were doing their PhD in, uh, I guess you would call it a, ser a, a seriology, which you know, was essentially converting cuneiform text into uh, English or whatever language they're working in. One of them that I found was from the University of Pennsylvania in 1909. They had gone to Babylon, brought back about 100 uh, copies of the tablets, basically high-quality photos. And uh, then they took those, and the students were decoding them as part of their PhD projects to see what they say. So I looked at all these disparate sources, and I finally realized I could go with <laughs> the online version from the University of Oxford, who's taking these digitization of these cuneiform tablets and giving them to people online and these are highly uh, credentialed scholars, including people like Stephanie Dolly, who wrote the myths from Mesopotamia. And so 
I started there and, you know, and this was research for me, Matt, for a while and uh, not thinking it was going to go anywhere, but leading me to how did they do this advanced technology stuff? And the next thing I find out is the stories of the Sumerians believing that, hey, these Anunnaki that came here, that's what they called them. They not only made us genetically, you know, down in South Africa in the mines, but we got no problem with it. We were made to serve them. And that's what we do. It's us that are just finding this out going, what? You, we what? Like that. They had no problem with it whatsoever. What, what do you think about that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, being genetically modified. Dis- well, the, the first thought is I don't like it. <laughs> I'd like to, I, well, where does, that, where does that lead into like free will? And it's, it's, you know what I find fascinating because people new to this, that's what you say. When, when I'll say that to someone, I was like, hey, I've been kind of researching for, for stuff. And it looks like a lot of these leaders are saying we were genetically modified from the Anunnaki, from an alien species. And, you know, uh, Michael Tellinger's book is Slave Species of the Gods. I've, I guess he even found the pods. Um, and it's like you and Tellinger and all these mm-hmm. people, n- nobody's disputing that. It's in the cuneiform tablets. Like it, everyone's like on that page and then they move forward. And that's a huge pill to swallow like originally, but you found it through research. And when you go back, it's kind of like, okay, so where does that leave us for free will and you know, moving into a place where, you know, we live a, an, an abundant, happy life or, you know, that's, that's kind of well, where my goal is. Yeah, we might have to save that part for the end. We all want to go back to the Garden of Eden and live in utopia, don't we? It's like an innate in us, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, across the planet, it's like that. Um, before we do that, let's just talk about a little con- conceptual context for all this to have occurred. From my understanding now as looking into the Anunnaki, um, they came from <clears throat> an ancient race in the Albert Dawn, I can't ever say it, constellation. And they were considered what Paul Hellyer calls the tall whites. Okay, these are the Nordic blonde looking um, species that were quite tall. They had a long history before they ever got to be called the Anunnaki. Okay, they apparently were in, involved in what's called the Lyran Wars. They were dispersed to an area. They ended up taking part of the galaxy for themselves, which include multiple areas, including the Pleiades, or the Orion constellation, and the Draco, I believe, Alpha Draconis. So these were grouped together, and the beings that came from there were eventually called the Anunnaki, but they're a mix of races, okay? This is the crazy part. Part of the races there were apparently uh, Alpha Draconis. They were the Dracos that we have pictures of, the, you know, the devil with the tail and the horns. Well, apparently they look like that, and some of them have wings and can fly, <laughs> as amazing as that is. Um, so this is where the story started coming up. Well, the, the Anunnaki must be reptilian. Well, it actually goes back to their original source in the threat briefing document that I released, wherever this person got this information. Their original race had reptilian blood. Now, does that mean they look like a lizard? No. It means when the sun hits your skin or your pineal gland that it can regulate the color of your skin and you can take in energy from the sun and convert it into your energy as a biological species. That's a really great thing, don't you think? Everybody should want that. Like if you're out hiking and like, ah, I don't have a granola bar here, dude. I'm going to have to stop and get some sun because I need some energy. Well, that's what they have the ability to do. It's a, I think it's an incredible advanced tech uh, 
thing for a biological species, a meat host, to be able to do that if you can take in light and produce energy. Imagine it could sustain you for a very long time. So I personally would like that. So when I hear people go, well, they ought to knock you a reptilian, I'm like, Okay, well, I want, I want that. <laughs> I used to really like um, lizards and things as, as a young person. And I was fascinated how they could change their color and go dormant for a long time, not eat. I mean, they were just, what a survival species, you know? So, so that being said, let's, let's be generic about who the Anunnaki are. They're a ancient astronaut race of galactic colonizers, and they didn't do it just to this planet, okay? I'm talking all over the galaxy, but now let's be more generic. So you have a planet that has something, some resource, let's just call it a resource. I don't care if it's gold or DNA from the species that are there or just whatever, okay? Or the, all the precious metals, whatever the resource is, they have a method for getting it, okay? And either the planet is occupied or it's not occupied. If it's not occupied, it's easy. You just go there and it's green, green field, right? But if it's occupied, they generally avoid going to war, these advanced species. They don't just go in and go, here's my big club, I'm gonna bash you to head, take your resource. They don't do it that way. They're much more sophisticated, okay? So imagine the planet had a biological life form, and some people say that there were, if you read the Lacerda files, okay? Some people say there were reptiles that evolved consciousness on this planet, okay? Now that's possible, I don't know, I can't refute that. Uh, in the Atlantean story, they were, it was talking about uh, in 80,000 years ago that there were races of uh, people that were black as well. So, so there were mixed races all over the planet, and, and it looks like they were intermingled in various cultures, even though we've been lied to about that. Well, just suppose there was a reptilian species that evolved on this planet. The Anunnaki as galactic colonizers came here and said, oh, look at those resources. And these on the planet said, hey, no, 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 we, were, we evolved here. This is our planet right? And they had some conflict. There, there are some indications that that might be true. But for an advanced species like the, the alien greys from the Markov Foundation or the Anunnaki, they're experts at finding a planet, even if it's occupied, and knowing how to colonize it. And they had tablets mentioned in the Sumerian documents about how to colonize planets, and they called them their MEs, capital M, capital E, and Enki himself hold these, held these divine tablets for civilizing, okay, and rolling out civilization on a planet. So one of the key things they would do is if there was a species there that they didn't want to go to war with, they would basically create a hybrid from themselves with that species secretly, make it look like the one that's there, okay, and then let it perpetuate in until it had taken over from the inside an infiltration and then essentially those ones had some special genetic um, features that the other ones didn't have that the Anunnaki could work with or their overloads could work with, whatever the race is, not just the Anunnaki do this. So essentially they, they overtake through mind control, through uh, hybridization, genetic mutations of the existing hybrids to make them and the environment what they want. And that includes terraforming, right? changing the the gas content of what's breathed, for instance, they do that too. Changing the amount of sunlight that strikes the planet so it's coincident with what they want, okay? So we just happen to be the hybrid that they created 200,000 years ago that's just finding this out. But it happens all over the galaxy. It's not just here.
That's in, yeah. You look, that's mortif- in, you look mortified. Nah, I just man, I'm listening. Well, I watched uh, uh, maybe it was three hours you did with Rex Bear, and you kind of did it, you know a summary of your your book, right? Um, and then so, um, uh, what's the what's the title? It's Anunnaki of Nibiru, and then you have a the seventh planet, Mercury rising. Yeah. Yeah. And so Tellinger's book is, you know, slave species of the gods is the same thing. And it's like, I don't even know how many pages, like eight, 900. So it's, it's a huge, it's a huge idea uh, Mm -hmm. for people to understand. So once we, if we can just accept that idea and, and I'll just offer this too, that you're basically electrical engineer, scientist, researcher. How did you find this out? Like, you know, when you find something, you're not just going through the internet and looking at what people are posting, you're finding it. So how do you, and you, you also trace the Anunnaki back further than Zachariah Sitchin and others, right? So how did you well, go I, about I, that? You know, there's nothing wrong with starting a search online with Google <laughs> and getting a thread, but you know, depending on the degree of creden- credentials you need and the audience is looking at it, will determine how many references you need to go right and get, right? That's why I start. That's why I decided to start with um, the Oxford University because they were experts in the field at translation, and they were involved with people who had been digitizing the cuneiform tablets for 50 years, and so there was no human in the loop. You know, if you set up a symbol library correctly and you digitize it and let the machine do and let the system, you know, automate the conversion, then you can't go. Well, there's a translation problem. You either accepted the 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 symbol library that was given or you didn't. And they published that. It's in a, it's in a hexadecimal uh, Unicode font text that you can download to your computer with all the hexadecimal codes for every cuneiform symbol that's used. And I have it, by the way. <laughs> so you can go look at a cuneiform tablet today is what I'm telling you. You can take this symbol dictionary and you go, well, this picture matches this one, so it makes that phonic sound. And if we put these together, what sound it is? And this is where you get into the stitching together of phonemes or glyphs, then they mix them, okay? They mix those. Is when you do that, um, it adds complexity to the language. And it also adds interpretation problems for people that don't see the big picture in context if they don't have enough of the document, you know what I'm saying? So, and this was true with George Smith in 1871. He goes, we'll never have 100% correctness, but is it enough? Do we have enough? <laughs> he had enough to write the book Chaldean Genesis and basically point out that the entire Bible that we have in our hands that was converted from Hebrew, by the way, the Hebrew priests were the same Jews that were held in Babylon where they saw these texts for 1600 years, they were held in captivity. Do you realize that? From 586 until the Crusades, they were held captive in Babylon under Marduk. So this is where they saw the history of the Enuma Elish and all these kind of documents and decided to write a version of that history for their people in the tribe of Jacob for Israel. That document they wrote wasn't intended for the whole world. It was only for their tribe. And somehow it ended up being the book the whole world calls the, the word of God. Isn't that something? Well, if you wow. listen to Moro Bellino, who's a Vatican translator who I've done interviews with, he he verified to me while he was translating the Masoretic text for the Vatican when he got fired, okay, after doing 17 books for them. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a capabilities issue. It was what he stumbled on. He found out that every document that the Hebrews had converted came from the Sumerian text, and they had basically told it their way. And it wasn't the actual accurate way either, okay? So the Vatican knows this at the very highest levels. The Pope knows this, that everybody who's believing that book is true is falling for a lie. 
Wow. So what does that, well, if people are, you know, religious hearing this, it, you know, what, what I've been saying, and, and I hope I'm along the lines is that like, you've got Jesus and Buddha and Krishna and even Yogananda as a, as a modern master, you know, you look at it and some of it for me doesn't resonate, um, you know, burning in hell for all of eternity does not resonate, but being loving and kind. And, you know, if you, the root of it for me is good. So do you still see Jesus as existing and, and being a master in that sense and doing those things? And just the book kind of got a little bit distorted. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, actually, as a, you really, if you really look at the Bible as a war doctrine between bloodlines that are feuding, plus add in all the constellations of the heavens that they use to tell stories so that it wouldn't get perverted over time, right? You could, because the constellations didn't change, so they could tell these in the allegories that way. Revelations is all done that way. Here's what I think about it, okay? If you go back to the city of Ur in Sumer, the god of the city of Ur was Enlil, Yahweh. We have proof of that. His, his chief priest was Terah, who was Abram's father. And his half-brother, Haran, who lived in that city, created another city up north, which housed a very special temple to the moon god, who was Enlil's son, Nanar. Okay, Nanar Sin was the moon god in Sumer, and he had a very prolific following, both at Haran and the city of Ur. Okay, when Abram left the city of Ur to go to the promised land, and his god was telling him to do this, right? told him to leave this land and land of your birth and go to where I'm promising this. Well, this was Enlil in the city of Ur asking his general, who he groomed Abram, to go up to Haran, he took a whole caravan, and they were supposed to go into an area that he was now purging because it was occupied by the offspring of his half-brother, Enki. Okay, so here's, here's all, I won't go too deep into this. So the land that Abram was being told to go get was occupied by his half-brother's offspring. These are the Canaanites, the Phoenicians, and in particular, the most important one that was on the list Okay, there were two kids of Ankies that were in that region. And once the casting of the lots happened in Africa and the Atrahasis tablet won, Mesopotamia belonged to Enlil, Yahweh. Marduk stayed in, went up and stayed in Babylon. Okay, and the king of Salem was Melchizedek. That was Thoth. Okay, he was in, he was in that land when they took over the temple of Zion. It was actually a mountain fortress under the king of Salem, which is now called Jerusalem, which was Melchizedek. Okay, this same being Melchizedek, if you read the um, incarnations of Jesus, I don't even like to use the word Jesus because that was a made up name. His, his name they used was Yeshua, <laughs> but he had other names too, okay? He had other names because he was a multi-incarnate being. And this goes way, way back in time to when this being made a deal with the cycle masters on this planet to be the spiritual teacher in many incarnations, okay? Including Buddha, including Melchizedek, including, including Enoch, and several others, okay? Okay, so he's, the, he's mankind's teacher, but he shows up in bodies, <laughs> but he's still the same energy. And one of those names was Ning, Ningashida in the Sumer accounts, and he was the second born son of Anki. This is where I made the connection to Thoth in Egypt and what happened in um, the ancient biblical story about Jesus being born in Bethlehem and all of that. Okay, well, here's my take on that. Down in Egypt, Thoth had already made his deal with Poimander in the ancient 
a document, the Divine Vision of Hermes. Okay? Hermes was another name, and Mercury were other names for Ningxia, Thoth, Melchizedek, Buddha, <laughs> all these names, okay? And he tells you as much. He's had, he's had thousands of incarnations. <laughs> well, in, in, this, uh, in this account, he, um, he basically committed to not going back and leaving this dimension and staying here and teaching us. So in, in Atlantis, he left, ends up in Egypt, sets up the mystery schools along the Nile, 12 of them, right? That was Thoth, the same Thoth as Thoth the Atlantean from the Emerald Tablets, okay? He did not change his name. Well, this Thoth was the same one who was in Sumer, who was who we called Ningxia, okay? And he's been, and there were some documents to show him actually interacting with the king of Judea, where he's handing him a cup with his symbols on it. And he's the one with the symbol of the Caduceus, okay? Just so you can gotta get this being nailed down. He's the one, let's just call him Hermes with the Caduceus, okay? That's who everybody knows from the Greek gods. It's him, okay? Supposedly written 35,000 books, including the Book of Enoch and all these other ones, okay? And all the alchemy books that are just fantastic. Well, by the way, he was listed in the book of Enoch as teaching the science of antimony to the people. And now that you know that antimony is used, or stibium, it's an earth element, stibium, antimony is mixed with gold when it's smelted to create this white talcum powder, right? <laughs> so he was teaching this to these people in the book of Enoch, and this is why they were held, uh, oh, you know, they were fallen angels for doing that. Well, no, they weren't. He was teaching them ascension principles of alchemy. So bottom line is Thoth was bringing higher consciousness to people by contract with Coimander through his mystery schools in Egypt and a little up in Mesopotamia, just right up in Levant is his area, did not want that. As a matter of fact, his Roman empire was occupying that land when the story of Jesus came to fruition, right? The Pharisees were there, their temples, which means the Jewish priests. And then you had the, the Roman uh, oversight through their governorship, even though they were, they had done this amalgamation of what they considered religion at the time and included the ancient Christian God of, or the Christian figure of Jesus in that new religion, giving him birth on December 25th. That's, that's ridiculous. This is clearly the sun God ritual of December 21st of the 25th, right? So they amalgamated all this. Well, Thoth, I believe on behalf of his father, he was sent to Egypt to wake up the hairy barbarians on behalf of his father, Poseidon, from Atlantis in the first place. The next step was to make an incursion into Enel's territory to wake up the slaves who Enki created that were being used barbaristically under the Babylonian Talmud with Marduk <laughs> and also with Enlil, who was doing child sacrifice as well. They were both doing it, right? As soon as you, according to Thoth, as soon as you're doing the rites where the blood and the rituals are performed, Dark entities from a lower dimension can be brought in and occupy those bodies, okay? This is the story of Moloch and Bohemian Grove. That's what they're doing. And these are the Dracos, okay? And they, they like children. They eat them as dinner food, okay? And this is part of the deal that the dark brotherhood of the Anunnaki has made together to rule this planet is with the Dracos. And they get left out of the story a lot, but you're generally not going to see them because they can actually go into a body that's been hybridized, take on that form, and as long as they're getting fed the right hormones from human blood, they can maintain that disguise and stay unmasked in the body. 
And this is where the movie They Live comes into play. And that's frightening because, listen, Thoth tells you this from the Emerald Tablets that this is true. That this serpent race was brought into this dimension to seek out all uh, leaders in authority and take over their bodies. And they lose their soul and it saps their life. He says that. I'm not saying that. Okay. Well, look around you. Is that not the truth? Is that not what's happening? Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, well, it's all of that is is mind-blowing and I know fragments some of it a little bit more than others some of it you know the names I'm like I haven't even heard that so you're a mind blower and yeah I'm working you know like there's there's something that's being created right now called the International Tribunal for Natural Justice to look at human trafficking um, and ritual sacrifices are you talking about itccs.org because it's out of Canada and I know the guy who's running that and he's a great guy uh, no, but I, I should connect with them. This one's by Sasha Stone of the New Earth Project. Oh. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So it's going to be it's going to be in London. So they're going to do, you know, an inquiry on these things. And if you look up on YouTube really easily, uh, mm-hmm. you can see so many famous people saying I made a deal with the devil, even Bob Dylan, all these different things. And you look at the ceremony, you look at and you're like, huh. And if you kind of suspend disbelief for a second and you look into it, you're like, Hmm, that's some interesting stuff. Um, yeah. But wh- where it gets to me and, and you can feel free to go um, deeper in, into any section. Cause I know you can, it scares the shit out of me. Yeah, you know well, what listen, I mean? When I, 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 you know, it's like, then, actually, you know what? We, we woke up talking about some things this morning relative to the financial system and what's going on and what the plans are. Uh, let me, let me just back up before we do that. Cause we do want to talk about that real quick. Cause we're really, really close. Okay. Really close to whatever people think the new order order is and rolling out its plan. Well, the plan is already rolled out. They're just waiting for a couple of little things to do. And as soon as those things happen, it's, it's going to be dastardly. I wish I had some good news and I'm looking for <laughs> the benevolent forces to step in before that window is sure closing. That said, <clears throat> let's see, how do we want to do this? There are some key players uh, among the Anunnaki. Some of them are affiliated with the cycle masters and apparently all the way back to the creator of all these, these, let's just call that the light team because everybody likes to differentiate there's the dark team, the light team. Okay. There does appear to be a light team. Okay. And we know some of the players that are on that. And I believe Enki is one of those. And he's mentioned in the alien Roswell interview as being part of what's called the domain forces. And I believe this is a galactic coalition or an alliance that truly is connected to the creator ball. They operate on galactic justice that has, has legs that, you know, is real, not uh, what we've seen in, being told this is justice. You know, I love this quote from Ishmael, by the way. This was the gorilla who gained consciousness in the book. I don't know if you've read that book. He's, he's looking around, he's assessing mankind's situation, our cosmogony and our laws, and he goes, he goes, well, clearly man doesn't know how to live because if, if you did, your laws wouldn't be changing all the time. <laughs> and you think about that, it's like, well, yeah, there were early, there were laws in Atlantis and con- contrast, were on pillars of stone out in the public and they never changed. Two pillars, that's it. Not thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of laws like we have. So anyway, <laughs> let's talk about who the devil is. Who is it? I don't know. <clears throat> <laughs> well, in the Bible, we get shown this red haired 
reptilian looking scourly face thing with a tail and holding a pitchfork, right? Well, that's, that's our concept of the devil, <laughs> right? Turns out the Draco don't look too much different than that, but they're not holding Anki's trident pitchfork either. <laughs> so um, in the Bible, um, Enlil as Yahweh to warn the Jews, and I just checked on the New International Version, maybe other versions, he warned them 33 times to stay away from Baal. Don't you go worshiping Baal. Makes me jealous. I even included it on the Ten Commandments, right? Don't have any other gods before me, including Baal. Well, who was Baal? I just told you there were two of the Anunnaki remnant family that were the opposing clan that were in that region. Melchizedek was one of them. He got out. He left. He le I think they left by um, sailing vessel, like the Phoenicians, right? They were great sailors. But they left after the incursion from Yahweh's army. Okay. So that was the fall. That was the real fall of Jerusalem and that genocide that happened there. The other one, it was in Babylon. That was Marduk. Marduk saw himself, whether he, whether it was true or not, as being the avenger of his father. He had no business being in Mesopotamia, especially not in Babylon. Hold on a second. That was Enlil's assigned territory. So he was there to confront Enlil from day one. <laughs> he, he wanted to be the chief deity. He believed as the son of Enki, the firstborn son of Enki, <clears throat> he believed he was in line to rule. And the fact is my genealogy table shows him as the son of Enki and Damkina, his wife. That means he was not in line to rule because they have to be born of the father and the half sister. And according to Anunnaki law to be in line to rule. So Thoth, and um, Ninurta, these were the two sons of Enki and Enlil that do seem to have been in line to rule. Ninurta was born of, of uh, and he was known as Apollo in Greece, so you can get your finger. <laughs> Apollo Ninurta was born of Enlil and his half-sister, uh, Nin Hartsog. Okay, that's Enki and Enlil's both their half-sister. She's Ninma, also known as Isis. So Ninurta truly was in line to rule from the Enlil clan. Okay, and Enlil's clan, if you go to the Olympian gods during the Greek era, they were the same gods, by the way. He, they were dominating the entire Council of Twelve, or almost all of Enlil's kids. It was surprising to me to even see Hermes on the list, because he was, at that point, Hermes was the son of... Uh, according to the Greek legend of Zeus and Maya Majesta, who was one of the females off the island of Atlantis. So he was always playing this genetic avatar who was right in between the Enlites and Anchiites, it seems to me. And maybe that was done for a reason, because he was the messenger after all, right? Maybe he ran liaison between the two families because he was both. I don't know. But uh, I'm not sure how he got on to that. But uh, I wanted to talk about Marduk. Okay, Marduk, Marduk was epic. Um, <clears throat> he, he uh, being in Babylon in 586, like I told you, they were going back and forth fighting with Jerusalem. So Yahweh was fighting Marduk even then. So, and it turned out that Abram was being dispatched up to Haran on behalf of Enlil because of Marduk. So the kings of the east and the west, that war, the wars and the battle, uh, in the Bible that are talking about that, that was because of Marduk. <laughs> and Sitchin wrote a really great book called Wars of Gods and Men. 
that details some of those battles that took place. And then you can go back to the Bible and see that, that it matches what uh, happened in these pyramid wars, if you will. And uh, it's quite epic. But guess what? By, two, by about 2000 BC or just a little before that, I think I want to say it was 1680 BC or something like that. It looks like in my records, 1587 was the last passage of Nibiru. Okay every 3,600 years. So about 1587 BCE, it looks to me like that's when the passage was. Well, right about that time, we saw a nuke go off, okay, in the Middle East and the Sinai Peninsula, especially because that's where the Anunnaki had a spaceport. So it looks like between the wars between Enlil and Marduk fighting over the control of the Bond Heaven Earth facility, which was in the Sinai, Marduk won. And here's how it happened. Apparently the nuke went off blew up the facility, the, the dangerous radioactive wind that drifted up the Tigris and Euphrates area killed everything, poisoned everything. Reminds me of the Gulf War where they used depleted uranium rounds all over with tanks and Sabo rounds in that country. Do you realize that it's not farmable? 80% of that country is polluted with radiation from those rounds. That's a really interesting way to get rid of your depleted uranium, right? Go put it in a weapon and shoot it over on somebody else's territory and leave it there. All right, don't let me get too far off of that. Anyway, that they nuked Sippar, and the destruction was so bad, they all left the region. All the Anunnaki left the region. It wasn't inhabitable. Well, apparently, according to their records, that, that nuclear wind just missed Babylon because of how it was blowing, and Marduk was saved. And they had a meeting and said, well, it, the, the, the odds are that maybe by the divine hand of the creator of all that Marduk's still standing so he must be the one that's supposed to be there this was circa 2000 BCE and he took over the lord of the earth command on the Anunnaki council and had the 50 names of Marduk read every spring in Babylon as well as the Enuma Elish where he had changed it to make him the planet Nibiru he changed the name Nibiru to Marduk did you know that <laughs> this is in their cosmogony account of how the the our galaxy came into, or at least our solar system came to be in the Enuma Elish. That's their discussion of that. Well, Marduk was very much a part of that. Okay. So Marduk apparently died in 484 BCE and was entombed in Babylon, according to the records. But what they failed to tell you was these guys, they trade bodies like they're used cars. You know, I drive this one for three years and then I'm going to get me a new Mercedes. Well, he did that too, and he did the dying, rising God ritual in three days, just like they all did, okay? It's just a ritual they do. But the idea of taking their energy and walking to another body for a six-dimensional being who's playing with avatar hosts on this planet, not a problem, okay? So he never went away, even though in 330 BCE when Alexander the Great went to Babylon to take the hand of Marduk. By the way, I watched the movie, Alexander. Uh, it's inaccurate. At the temple in Egypt where he went, it was the temple of Amun-Ra, not Amun-Zeus, okay? I am so tired of people at, in Hollywood rewriting history to venerate Zeus. Zeus can go kiss my ass. I'm so tired of Thor and Zeus and the savior of humanity. It's all a lie. He, he, Zeus is a, one of, and Yahweh is one of the greatest um, terrorists on this planet. Ask Mora Bellino. He even had a t-shirt made about Yahweh being the greatest terrorist on the planet. Killed more people and more genocide than anyone else. Okay, that's the truth. So I don't venerate him at all. Any of them for that matter. <laughs> so, um, so Marduk never went away. 
he was the god that Alexander wanted to take the hand of when he entered. He was apparently not there at the time. That's when Alexander died in Babylon, remember, a fever or whatever he died of. Well, he went there for that reason, because he believed he was the son of Marduk. And he was told that by his parents uh, in Macedonia that he wasn't his father's son. He was, he was a special one. Okay? So take that for what, what it's worth. But it's very possible because at Pergamum is where Zeus had his temple in Greece. And Marduk was always just somewhere around ready to go to war with Enlil. I'm surprised Enlil even got allowed to be allowed to stay on the planet if Marduk took over. So that was 2000 BCE. Then, not sure what happened about the time the Zodiac changed over to the age of Pisces with, uh, with, the, you know, with our current age. Um, I, th I really thought that Enlil was in charge because it has his sign of his eagle and all this stuff all over the world. And, and he's running the New World Order. He's the God of America. And he was the God of America as of 1895, when the York Rite was infiltrated by the Christian God, who's the Roman God, who was Enlil, okay? But that apparently has changed. And I think this came with Zionism, okay? And here, follow me on this. In Babylon, Marduk was the chief deity. The Jews are held captive there for 1,600 years. They walk away with a Babylonian Talmud and then create a Jewish Talmud based on what they've been exposed to for a long time under Marduk. Okay, a long time where he's been asking for their firstborn kids and blah, 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 promising them the world, and he'll teach them money magic, the Babylonian money magic, but they've got to, they've got to follow the, Quran, or the, the Talmud, and they've got to follow the principles of Zion. Well, this came later, but this is all derived from the Talmud, and these teachings are based on this wisdom from Marduk, okay? They didn't take over the monetary system for the entire world without Marduk's help. Okay, and uh, so Marduk is the god of the Zionist. Okay, even though Enlil was the god of the ancient Israel Israelites, those ancient Israelites that had any, there was only like one percent of them had any blood that even belonged in that area. We're talking about Khazar Jews who landed via Russia back into Israel, and they're running the show, and they're running America too. Okay. Look up the Zionists of America, if you don't believe me, <laughs> while Steve Bannon's over there, you know, kissing their butt, and same with Trump. Why are they kissing a foreign agency's butt, okay, these dual citizens that are running our government, marrying into their families, and establishing the Federal Reserve that's basically a debt enslaving every single one of us? Why are they going along with this? Because they own them, that's why. And it's been that way for a long time. So now, the in God we trust that you see on the dollar bill, it's not Enlil anymore. It's Marduk. And how you know this is go into any 501c3 church where they have a congregation and they pray. What do they say at the end of it? Amen. Right? They're giving venerance to Amun-Ra himself, Marduk. Okay? And that's by design. Listen, the Jewish principles of Zion have infiltrated every church in America. They own the government. They own the three-letter agencies. They own the banks. They own the military industrial complex. They own every bean and bullet company that serves the military. And I guarantee you, they own every word that comes out of a preacher's mouth because they're, they're under contract, essentially, via Rome to the Jews, okay? The two main churches that run the world, the mother church and the father church, the Vatican and the synagogue. And that's the truth. And guess what? 
Marduk synagogue is at the top. Did you know that? Man, right. I, I, yeah, and I only knew a fraction of any of this mess. Oh my and God. The problem, and the problem is Marduk is so brilliant compared to humans. He's probably got 23 to 50 plans for every single move with alternative plans. And the doctors who released a memo about the Illuminati back in 1969, I put this on my Facebook page. By then, when they were briefed on what's coming, which was really horrible to them, they knew at that point there wasn't a thing they could do about it, not one thing. And guess what? We're now this close to the final peace being put into place so that everybody either serves the beast or dies. And you know what that is, don't you? Be Not. The beast is Marduk, by the way, and his number is 666. <laughs> and I've done shows on this on my, on my site, okay? And the, the Rothschild red star that was turned blue for the Israeli flag is Marduk's star. And there's six sides on it, six angles, and six points, okay? And the six points have a very significant meaning in, to the Anunnaki. They numbered the planets from the outside in. And so the sixth planet is Mars. And who went to Mars when uh, the Great Flood came in the records? It was Marduk. And Nanar went to the moon. That's why he ended up with the moon god symbol. Okay? But Marduk did. And Marduk is back. He's head of the New World Order. He just built a fabulous new city off of petrodollar money, off the Khazar steppes in Kazakhstan, where the Babylonian Talmud was used on the Khazars, right? To convert them all when they were approached by the Rusis in about 770 or so. CE. Okay. So at that point, <clears throat> go, go, go look at the, the city Astana in Kazakhstan. Brand new, first capital city built in the 21st century. It's got Marduk symbols all over it. And you ask yourself, how did they spend billions of dollars and build this out in the middle of nowhere and for what purpose? Well, they, it's a new world order city and Marduk's about to roll it out. The reason you didn't know about it because it wasn't time. But now it's out in the open and they are rolling it out, buddy. And I'm telling you that one last piece that was missing that you, you didn't quite come up with. that's going to cause us all to go into a panic when they say this. And it's supposed to happen on a Friday. Government shutdown and Monday, they're going to announce it. <clears throat> and that's what? Well, it's kind of coincident with the collapse of the U.S. dollar, which is way overdue. Right. When you say. Yeah. About the I'm time the petrodollar started getting uh, replaced by the yuan and the Russian ruble and any other currency that they wanted to trade through the BRICS nations with Saudi Arabia, who's going along, the petrodollar's done. So it's just a matter of time, and they know that. Well, what are they going to do? Well, imagine they came out and said, well, we got a new one-world currency. And guess what? We're going to introduce it now on Monday. It's Monday. All the cash you have in the bank, all the cash you have in your possession, it's all worthless. It's not being accepted anymore. And here's what we're going to do for you. If you go along and support this new currency, all you businesses out there that you know, transact and have to decide whether you take this currency or not, if all you do this, guess what? We're going to wipe away all your debt. All of it. House free and clear, car free and clear, all of it. It's all yours. Now, how many people are going to say no to that? Nobody is. And if you do say no to that and you look like you're going to be impeding them getting out of debt, they would off you in a minute. 
So if you're a dissident, they're going to turn them against you and, and off you if you don't go along with this. So huh. it's only going to take somebody going, well, the new currency is a digital currency and we're going to call it this. And if you do anything else other than that, um, then you're in this line and you're a dissident and eventually we'll give you one chance to come back in. Otherwise, you're going to FEMA camp. You're done. We have a humane way to get rid of you. As a matter of fact, they were talking about that in 1969. That's no joke. That's what they had planned. They will start separating the population. And those who go along with the world, new world order and have no problems with it, happy face, I'm going to be a good slave. You'll go along for a while and whatever happens, happens. According to Anki, you will be enslaved for the next galactic cycle. That's 26,900 or 25,920 years until you get another shot at your avatar ascending out of this terrible system that we're in. So what he's telling you is if you go along, you're done. You're, you've just signed up for slavery as multiple avatars for another 26,000 years. Boy, this is tough times we're living in to make some choices, huh? Shit! <laughs> what do I do with myself, wow. man? This is terrible news, bro. <laughs> so what... Do you have any, you know how, what do we well, do listen, to miss? Can we, can we dodge that? Like what? How do you, heck? well, listen, yeah. what can humans do? They can, yes. try to, they can try to barter with each other, right? Like we did in the past. But look, that's a very limited way to get by. You know, I have some conch shells for your sunglasses or whatever. You know, it's, it, it, it can be done. I think it'll create a huge black market. But listen, they have eyes and ears everywhere. The, the Anunnaki are so sophisticated. They can read your brain waves from a satellite. There ain't no private thought you've ever had, ever. Think about that. Every thought you generate is an electromagnetic signal that they can detect. You're a, tele you're a tele telemetry meat modem, and you always have been. That's the truth. So the idea that you're being snooped on like Snowden told you, yeah, that's terrible. But guess what? You've always been snooped on if you were, if, you know, if you were worth looking at. And I think our three-letter agencies are just now catching up to understand the technology that they had to snoop in the electromagnetic spectrum. And now it's gotten a little bit worse in that not only are they just using it for sensing, but they could also use it to transmit and do things to your brain, anything they wanted to. They could fry your brain. They can cause major harm to your brain through the ELF. They could scramble your brain. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things they could do. Okay, and so we're right on the edge of the old powers that are trying to hold this world hostage, and we call those the Dark Brothers. This new world order, it's not new, it's old, okay? <laughs> the idea of somebody controlling everything and everybody else being slaves, hey, that's what we've seen all through history, or at least transitioning, trying to expand your empire so you could be that one, right? That's old, that's the old world system. But if, if this happens, they don't need seven billion of us and this is where the georgia guidestones come in that is the new world order mandate of their commandments what they want they want no more than 500 million of us on this planet that's the truth hmm. 
All right, everybody, that wraps up part one with the incredible Gerald Clark. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. If you liked it and you want to support the show, just leave a review in iTunes or support me on Patreon. Just go Patreon forward slash Matt Belair. Check out cool stuff at mattbelair.com forward slash store. Sign up for the email list. Do cool stuff like that. And as you guys are going through the podcast, just take a snapshot of the epiphanies or the really cool parts and then just tag Matt Belair podcast and post it on the official uh, Facebook, which is Matt Belair official. So I can start collecting all these tidbits, sound bites, uh, interesting thoughts and get your feedback and we can share those with others. So maybe somebody doesn't have enough time to do the full deep dive that you're doing, but we can support them with those aha moments. And that's what I invite you guys to do from now on if you're listening to the podcast so we can get the word out there and we can help people. And your experience matters. Your aha matters. And it's going to be a path for someone else as well. So if you want to write about it, if you want to do a video, if you want to elaborate, then go for it. For those of you guys who want coaching, there's groups and coaching coming up. Just go to uh, mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and you'll find more information on that. And uh, yeah, we can go from there. And also speaking and groups, just uh, I'm happy to zoom into any group or book club or whatever you guys got to just chat and and uh, go deep on any subject. And thanks so much to my sponsor, Purium. They're amazing. If you want a $50 gift card, just go uh, use the code activate health and you can go bit.ly forward slash activate health and you will get a $50 gift card. Some of their products are 50 or $100. So you get half off or you can get something for free. So use the code get involved. It's the best stuff in the game. And they got everything for energy, sleep, immune system, rejuvenation, cleanse all that kind of good stuff if you want to keep the body healthy so there you go guys that is it for me today it's a super busy day Uh, lots of amazing stuff going on and uh, just so excited and privileged to always just be with you guys thank you so much for listening Um, and so before we close it out I'll invite you to come to a state of powerful peace and coherence so taking a deep breath in through your nose with that intention coming to a state of powerful peace coherence and presence connecting to your body powerfully and letting that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries and all the thoughts of the day all the stresses just vanish take another deep breath in through your nose and just double that feeling of connection peace empowerment and present just really feel the presence of this moment in your surroundings feeling that wash over you and just let that breath out slowly with all the cares all the worries all the doubts All the self-criticism, just let that go. Now taking one more deep breath in through your nose, connecting to powerful love and acceptance for yourself, knowing that you're an infinite, multidimensional creator being, connecting to that truth. I want you to send out love and compassion and empowerment to all beings on the planet, collaboration and peace. Just see yourself willingness and supporting all life on the planet, knowing you are a part of that divine circle connected to all things and just sending out your love and best wishes to all things and I'm sending that to you all of my love and compassion and support and kindness and energy and just wishing you nothing but the best and you can just take that energy and I want you to see all that energy is sent out from all beings having it come back like a tidal wave magnified a million fold a billion fold a trillion fold and just let that energy into the center of your heart coming from all directions just filling up your entire being with love and support from the entire universe from the entire cosmos filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber knowing that you are one with all of it 
So may you have a blessed, peaceful, and coherent day, spreading love and kindness to everyone, being who you are, connected to who you are, truly empowered. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.